Welcome to Cowside Conversations, a monthly podcast brought to you by the Center for Dairy Excellence. We've heard time and time again that dairy farmers learn the most from other dairy farmers. So in this podcast, we are going to share real-time farmer insights, tricks of the trade, and inspiring stories from dairies across Pennsylvania. I'm Jane Seabright, Director at the Center. Here's this month's episode. We are going to discuss why every dairy farm needs to start considering risk management as an essential part of their business. We are talking with Mark Mosman, a partner at Misty Mountain Dairy, located in Bolton County, Pennsylvania. Mark also serves as the chair of our Center for Dairy Excellence. Mark, thanks for joining us today, and thanks for your leadership to the Center. We appreciate all that you do. To start our podcast, why don't you begin by telling us a little bit about your dairy farm and your role on it? Okay. I'm a third generation on our farm. My grandfather came back in the mid-'70s from uh, uh, South South America. He was actually in the mission field, Uh, so they started the dairy up. My father came back from college and kept it going, and then uh, I went to college as well along with my brother. So currently on the farm, it's my father and mother who are owners, part owners. I'm a small portion of that ownership. And then we have uh, my wife is in full-time salary position with herds work and heifer work. So she's pretty much been there the entire time. And my brother came back, I believe, around 2007. Uh, did a lot of the herds work and is currently managing most of the herd from that capacity and feed and nutrition, that type of thing. So we, uh, when my dad came back from college, they were about 50 cows. He expanded all the way up to about a hundred, um, 120 when I was in college. When I came back shortly after that, I graduated in 2000, so about 2001, we expanded about 250, built a new facility, and been expanding in phases since then, and currently now we have 450 cows. We raise all of our own heifers, about 350 of those, and we currently farm probably about 750 to 800 acres. When did you guys begin using risk management on your dairy? And why did you start using it? Well, when we started in 2001, when I came back, we we probably were pretty traditional at that point. I don't think we used much in the way of, I know we didn't do futures and options at that point. Uh, We had relatively little capacity to store feed or that kind of thing to do risk management from that standpoint. So, Really, our game plan when we started the dairy operation, the larger one, when we expanded, when I came back from college, our goal at that point was to be a purchase feed dairy, and we were just going to have everything custom done. We had very little land at that point, probably no more than 200 acres at that point that we farmed. Uh, We owned about 90 of it and uh, rented the rest, but up until 2012, that model worked half-decent. Uh, then 2012 was a rough year as far as the margin between your feed prices went high, milk dipped a little bit, and that margin that is your profit in between, that really got crunched. Uh, it was at that point um, that we really decided we needed to turn around. And, of course, 2012 was not far off the heels of 2009. 
2009 and 2010 were kind of decision-making years for us. We brought on an accountant, uh, acuity accountants, and they really led us through transition management at that point. I was interested in joining the partnership. So all these things started to take place. And, and through that analysis, really, it out, uh, the outcome and 2012 nailed it on the on the nailed the rest of it down. You know, we decided we have to do something um, more aggressively to control input costs and try to get a better milk price. So that's when we started working on <clears throat> booking some milk. We did some of it through our co-op, and we we started to lock some feed in, and we've been kind of progressing since then. So tell me what types of risk management tools you use and how you use them. So today, our history has been, uh, <clears throat> of course, we use crop insurance. That's kind of the base level. And uh, from the feed input side, I'll start on that side just to cover that uh, before I forget. Um, one of the big things we do on uh, feed side is uh, we currently only buy protein and, and buy products. We, we are able to do all of our own corn for silage, forage, and for high moisture grain and dry grain as well. So we currently have enough acres to buffer uh, even in a dry year to do that. So that has pretty much covered that part of it. Um, but our protein source, we do not grow any beans, so I do not trade any beans against soybean meal or anything like that. So we actively book a protein price as far out as we can. We've been pretty successful with a local mill at a green castle, um, done things for um, almost eight months to a year at a time. Uh, this year's looking a little rougher to do that. We may be looking at alternative sources. And uh, we usually try to book cottonseed. We feed that as well. We try to do that <clears throat> uh, at harvest. So this time of year, we're usually trying to stockpile that. And we have a little bit of space in our commodity storage that we can do that. And uh, <clears throat> the rest of it, um, we do have canola. We try that once in a while as well. So we we, we try to to book as much as we can and lock that kind of stuff in with our local vendors from that standpoint. From the <clears throat> input side, uh, we I am part of a seed buying group, so we, we try to lock our corn seed in this time of year, and we do it with a buyer's group, so we try to get volume incentives. So usually before January, February, I'm, we're pretty well locked in on those prices and have that figured out. I will actively work with my agronomist to book and secure nitrogen prices and fertilizer prices, that type of thing. We'll work on that. Uh, we've been doing that in the fall this year. Prices are low for urea, so we've we've booked a lot of that. I actually have as much storage on farm as I can get. It's already full. <clears throat> and uh, whatever else we can do as far as pre-purchases, especially if the tax year uh, works well that way, that's what we're doing this year. We've done that in the past as well. If we have a decent year we'll, we'll pre-purchase so that the following year we have that already laid out so usually if you have cash you can do that pretty well sometimes it even pays if you take out a, a operating line you can do it that way as well so <clears throat> there's some benefit to that part the opposite side uh, as far as milk we have we ship to maryland virginia as a co-op so they have had an in-house brokerage firm with blimling associates and we have done some through them as well early on. Uh, mixed results there. 
<clears throat> and then we uh, usually uh, sign up for the base level. Uh, when we had margin protection plan, we would sign up for the base level there and then kind of layer on stuff uh, from Maryland, Virginia as well. Of course, now it's a DMC. We've done that. Uh, we do that usually at the base level. And if uh, certain years it looks a little better than normal, we'll put a little more in. Um, <clears throat> but we usually always do that planning at every profit meeting. We, we, we have a profit meeting three times a year, February, August, and sometimes in November. And at the beginning of those, prior to lunchtime, lunchtime and after is when we have our profit team meeting. But before that, we have a financial meeting with just the accountant and the banker. And the final part of that meeting before we get break into the larger group is we always talk about risk management. So we get their ideas, where do they think milk's going? Um, in the past few years, we've also done, um, we've, we've booked uh, verse on component levels uh, through our insurance agent that way. We've also done it um, just off of different classes. So we've blended that a little bit some, um, and we've gotten base results. We haven't, Probably about 50% of our milk at max is what we, we book on a given year. So, Mark, you talked about booking component and class levels through your local and your crop insurance agent. I'm assuming you're talking about the dairy revenue protection program. So tell me a little bit more about how you use that program to complement the dairy margin program, you talked about um, using the base level of that. So I'm assuming when you say the base level, are you booking it at the 950 margin level or a lower margin? Are you limiting the amount of milk? What do you mean by the base level? Well, um, my dad does that. He's more fluent on that, but we work together on that. And I'm kind of, I'm starting to learn as we go on that. But, uh, Usually we lock in the lowest level that is recommended through FSA on the DMC part. Um, and it's usually the minimum production level. Um, and you have to refresh my memory on that. Um, so what it, levels so are... you're, yeah, you're booking, you're booking at tier one. So you're putting anything in tier one that you have, which I think is 5 million pounds. And then anything over and above that, you're not locking in. Right. Right. Yeah. Thanks for that. Uh, reminding me of the numbers there. And so we would basically always lock that part in. And then um, in years past, uh, we've gone a little bit above those levels, you know, above that tier one. Uh, and then we, if memory serves me correctly, we've probably been in the revenue protection part for about, this would probably be the second full year. I think we did it last year. Um, Somewhat, I can't remember if we did it, and we may have dabbled, just started dabbling in it in 2018. Uh, and we traditionally, our components have been very high. Um, this year, we're not quite as high uh, through last this past winter. Uh, it seems like last year's crop, so it'd be 2019's crop that we fed through this past winter. We did take a hit, and I, and I heard a lot of other dairies feeling the same way here in Pennsylvania, uh, took a little bit of a hit in, in our components because uh, we have always had very high fat-corrected, uh, energy-corrected milk, um, especially when we do some benchmark analysis. We've always come out on the top of the pile there for that. So it seems like we've really 
maybe even have a little bit of room for increased production there, you know, but we definitely always have high components. So we've, we've traditionally used the components to lock in the DR, the, the revenue protection program um, to that extent. And we've done, usually what we'll do is visit with our insurance agent at the each, at each, uh, is that monthly? I can't remember. Is it monthly or quarterly? Quarterly. It's, quarterly. Uh, quarterly. So quarterly, we will look at that, and uh, if the price, he'll usually give his recommendations, and then we'll put some in based on what he's done. And I think Dad did dabble a little bit in the class. In the class, uh, he put classes in as well um, the last time through. But uh, actually, we kind of sat a little still on it here just recently this year. It's kind of been up and a down year, so we haven't done too terrible much yet. I think he did end up booking. Um, some, I think we have at least 50% of our milk covered going into 2020, at least the first quarter of that. And we'll probably have more discussion on that here at the end of November. Yeah, that program actually allows you to um, lock in each quarter for the next five quarters, and it gives you options each day that the market's open. But you're right, the class with the class four market being so low and even class three being much lower next year than it is right now, a lot of farms I think are holding off on locking anything in through the dairy revenue protection. But when you uh, use risk management, whether it's the DMC or the dairy RP program or contracting milk through your cooperative, what do you, what is your goal? What are you really trying to accomplish? with whatever tools you use? <clears throat> well, our our goal, we analyze by the quarter. Uh, sometimes we'll combine first and second quarter numbers, but we always look at quarterly numbers with our accountant. So we are analyzing each quarter where we are and the um, basically the, the output that they put through, um, it comes out in various forms, but the big number that we look at when we are booking milk is we have a class three break even. So they, they dial everything down and in our input costs and, and do all the work <clears throat> to come out with a class three break even for our farm. So that it factors in all of our costs and, and such. And then we take that number to compare it for what we can book milk for. So we know that that's our break even. So we need to be above that to, to, to make a profit. So that is how we analyze each quarter. Uh, sometimes we combine first and second quarter, um, sometimes to save on some accounting costs. Um, and a lot of times with taxes and stuff, they're busy. Sometimes we don't get the first quarter numbers anyway until tax season is kind of over so we've lumped them together before to do that and then we have done that since 2010 so the, the beauty of that for us is we have a rolling 12-month uh, rolling average and they basically print out what what they call a scorecard and we can look back through the different quarters we can compare first and second quarter for 2019 versus first and second quarter for 2020 all the way back you know clear back to 2010 if we if we so want so it's valuable to be able to see the differences um, sometimes those quarters change a little bit based on where the feed inventory is where the harvest is sometimes that jumps a little bit between the third and fourth quarter but it's very valuable for us to see those numbers and then use that and we can pretty much plug that right in to where we want to book our milk and 
you know, then we kind of know where that is and we can utilize that to make sure we're booking where we need to be. So essentially you're really trying to cover your cost of production with your risk management tools and you layer them on to give you a variety of options. Um, You're not looking for the highest price. You're just really making sure that you're protecting your cost. Yeah, we have done with the milk co-op, they offer some things that have different collars. So you can limit your floor and you can limit your ceilings. Uh, Usually when you use collars, they're a little cheaper per unit, uh, you know, when you book that milk, whatever unit they use, if it's a per hundredweight or or whatever it is, usually that cost to do that is a little cheaper. So we've dabbled a little with the collars. um, And uh, I know in in, uh, the high milk price year, I believe it was 2014, we gave up a little. Uh, We actually gave up a lot. And I think a lot of guys did uh, when I've talked to different fellows that have uh, dairy men and dairy women that have done that. Um, You know, that kind of left a little bit, um, so that, I think that made us take a step back a little. We got a little gun shy for the next couple of years, but um, utilizing um, our philosophy, I really think, and our accountants have kind of guided us this way. You know, you, your your goal is to cover that cost of production, and you want to hit base hits. Basically, if you're talking baseball, you want solid singles. You don't want the grand slam. You don't want the home run because there's a lot higher risk, a lot higher cost with that. So. If we can hit solid singles, we can progress where we need to be and do it and mitigate that risk. Um, because if you if you're gunning for the big thing, you've also got a lot of risk and a lot of cost in trying to to gather that. So sometimes you leave a little on the table, but in the end, if you're covering your baseline and you're always making that that margin that you know you can survive off of, you will continue to build your balance sheet and and move forward slowly and steadily. So that's that's kind of our concept that's been that way since 2010. So essentially, you just answered my next question, but I'm sure you have something to add. You mentioned that, you know, really striving for those base hits and not the home runs is really a good lesson that you've learned in using risk management. But what other lessons have you learned, um, things that you learned through your experience with risk management? Well, you have to not be discouraged. There are times when you leave money on the table. Uh, There are times when you get burnt. Um, But I think slow and steady wins the race. You have to stick to your game plan. So um, we've developed our game plan a little bit. Uh, It's not the fanciest one out there. But we utilize a lot of advisors. And, uh, you know, we're using accountants. We're using um, our profit team, you know, so all the different people in our profit team, our veterinarian, our nutritionist, um, our loan officer, <clears throat> we have a we have a consultant through our loan company as well, uh, Mike Hosterman, and uh, Mike's had a lot of history with us. He used to be our loan officer, so he's had a lot of history, and that's valuable for us. We've, you know, we have some longevity with the companies we've worked with, um, you know, not to say we haven't looked at things. Uh, you know, looked at other options in the past just to see if there would be savings. But the the longevity you have of the relationship with those types of people is valuable in itself because they know your operation. They know your history. Sometimes they can help you 
see through the fog of what you're dealing with in the present and remind you of what you dealt with in the past. And of course, they're always comparing your situation to others, you know, that they see out in the marketplace and out in the industry as well. And that brings valuable information to us because we can't be out in the industry seeing all the trends all the time. Um, you have to be at home taking care of your operation, you know, at least at some level. Um, and you only have a finite amount of time to do certain things and you have to pick. So bringing that expertise in really helps us. Um, and sometimes it helps you not to second guess yourself too, especially when you're, when you're booking milk or doing that type of thing. Sometimes that can get really, with all the speculation that's in that market, sometimes you can get trigger happy or gun shy, one or the other. And uh, sometimes it's helpful to have that second opinion or third or fourth. Good. So my last question is actually, if you were talking to a farmer who hasn't used risk management yet, what advice would you give them on how to get started? Probably the biggest thing is, <clears throat> depending on your situation, probably if it's a beginning farmer, younger farmer, they may be smaller. So it's probably going to be daunting. So ask questions. Um, bring the people in on your profit team. If you don't have a profit team, consider starting one and make that, um, you know, if you do it on a, maybe you don't do a quarterly profit team. We don't, you know, we do three times a year, sometimes only two. Uh, sometimes it takes, for us, it always took, you know, six months to really implement some of those changes and actually see enough results to come back and really talk about a lot of it. So, Unless you have problems, you know, or issues on your dairy that require a lot of attention, you know, um, bouncing those ideas off those people at that time period, you know, two times a year really is valuable. It helps you give, give you that extra information. And the other thing probably from a beginning standpoint or a starting standpoint is don't go in with, uh, with all of it at once. Uh, start small. Um, test your, you know, test the water make sure you, you have a good grasp of what you're doing and double check everything a couple times before you go through. And, uh, you know, if you have the right advisors there to help you, um, a lot of times they will help catch anything that you've forgotten or if there's a mistake in the works or find a good trusted person that, that you know, maybe a dairy farm down the road that's done it before or a mentor that you have you could bounce that off of them and say, hey, what do you think of this? And um, that helps if there's anything wrong or some things to consider that you haven't thought about, that helps bring that to the forefront so that you, you have the best option going in. Thanks, Mark. Hopefully your insight will inspire more farms to take advantage of the resources that are out there to protect their bottom line. For those of you no who are problem. listening, <laughs> thanks for joining us. Just as a reminder for those who are listening, the deadline for farms to enroll in USDA's dairy margin coverage program is December 11th. If you're interested in this program, you need to visit your local USDA FSA office by the 11th to sign up. Also, the deadline to lock in your milk production for the first quarter of 2021 through the Dairy Revenue Protection Program is December 15th. If you're interested in that program, reach out to your crop insurance agent just like Mark mentioned. If you are a member of a milk cooperative, they also are able to help you get enrolled in that program. So be sure to ask them questions as well. Thank you for joining our first episode of Cowside Conversations. 
brought to you by the Center for Dairy Excellence to share farmer insight, tricks of the trade, and inspiring stories from dairies across the state. For more episodes, subscribe to the series on either Apple, Spotify, or Google. Thanks for joining us, and thanks, Mark, again, for being our, our guest today. You're very welcome.